Hello hockey fans and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn, you know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clint Malarchek. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. The Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the UNLV Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. All right, hockey fans, we're back once again with another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We've got a good show for everybody tonight. We've got Philip Iver coming in later on in the show. We've got Dana Lane on board. As as usual, we're going to do a little UNLV roundup. They had another solid weekend. Interesting to find out where he thinks they can go and how good they can be with only one loss there on the young season. Chris, Lisa, always my co-host. You can follow him at the NL King on Twitter for all of his NHL and Islanders coverage from the last word on hockey. Chris, good evening to you, sir. Back on Long Island. It's good to talk to you. Yes, it's good to talk to you as well, my friend. And, uh, you know, we're just about two weeks into the NHL season now, so we're getting going. Yeah, starting to, starting to, I mean, two weeks is two weeks, but things are starting to, Starting to shake out just a little bit. Let's break the ice, as I'm going to start calling our first segment there. A little cliche tagline for it. I know you wanted to talk quickie. He's going to be out three months. Uh, decided against the surgery. That's all old news now. Rumors are flying about what goalies may or may not be on the Kings' uh, little whiteboard there in Mr. Lombardi's office. Kind of a brutal hit to take Zakoff coming down and tearing his groin, too. Um, he does not look like he's going to be out as long as quick. Um, maybe back, I think they said a week or two weeks, week to week instead of day to day. But I, I kind of wanted, and I think I talked to you a little bit about it, wanted to see Peter Budai play after the year he had in Ontario. He looks like maybe, you know, he played his 300th NHL game. So he of, of all the goalies on their roster he definitely has the most experience and he did he did do a decent job there against vancouver getting the win and uh stoning them all in the in the the shootout um what's your take on that do they have to make a move or can they do the wait and see they're in a really tough spot here because if you think about it uh also they're a team as you know mark they're uh, up against salary cap so and obviously you know Jonathan quick big picture long term is going to be fine and he will be, you know, he's signed for the next number of years. So really, they're looking to find somebody who can be uh, a number one goalie for them, if you will, for the next three months, and then can slide to being backup to Jonathan Quick, and all at the same time, 
not being a salary cap hindrance, not only for beyond this year, but even this year. So that that's that's a tricky list to to kind of find somebody that that falls that falls into that. Um, so we mentioned last week's show. Uh, I know you're a fan of him. You were telling me about him in terms of uh, J.F. Berube, who's now with the Islanders, who claimed him off the Kings last year, uh, claimed him off waivers from the Kings last year. I think you're looking at guys like that just to give them more depth. And uh, so I think that's the kind of list you're going to look at and also is going to be, you know, you're talking about a draft pick or something along those lines. So I think that's the kind of that's where they're at right now. I can't imagine that they're going to trade for somebody for three months. And quite frankly, I don't know if they can fit people in under their cap. And so uh, I, I, that's that's the kind of, kind of player I think they're you know, kind of goal you're looking at it right now. I think you're going to have to find somebody willing to uh, take a Gabarik or, and I don't like saying this, a Brown contract going the other way if you want to get any yeah that's Any, anybody of a higher yeah anybody of a higher caliber you're gonna have to find someone willing to take that on um Gabrick's a great and again player. they just need they they just need to hold the fort here i mean is what it comes down to so um they just need to hold the fort and um so anyone they can get um that can that can fall under that i i think that's 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 kind of the list where where they're gonna be looking at. Is it outside the realm of possibility, and this is my Las Vegas conspiracy theory going, that they trade for somebody, um, and and you wanted to talk about Matt Murray's contract extension, so that, I mean, the writing's on the wall that Flurry would be exposed, that they could work out some kind of a deal money-wise to bring in a goalie for the year like a Flurry and then leave him exposed. Uh, in the off season, and hope to shed that contract off to Las Vegas. Yeah, I know. first of all, I don't think they can fit Murray in under their cap. Number one, unless they sent some players back the other way. Second of all, I think Flurry um, Murray is still injured, I believe. So that would leave them uh, without Murray and without Flurry at the current time. Right, right. And I think that, and I think the thinking in Pittsburgh is going to be, you know, we're going to protect Murray. And, you know, Flurry has two more years to go after the season at 5.75, I believe. And they're like, look, if he's taken, he's taken. And it frees up cap space. And if he's not taken, we still have uh, the depth of that position. So, yeah, I I, again, I, I don't think that really fits. I think it's a it, it's a tough fit to find. Yeah. I'll give you a guy that would be perfect for the Kings. Now, I don't think the Islanders is going to trade him. I'm not talking about J.F. Berube. Thomas Grice would be perfect. He's got a $1.5 million cap hit. He's a free agent at the end of the year. That's the guy. Obviously, last year, he, obviously he showed last year he can be a number one goalie. Um, you know, so, um, and he can, he'll be able to slide uh, back to being the, the, the number two and can then ease in with quick comes back. That would be the perfect guy. On, uh, from a cap standpoint, from a player standpoint, <laughs> problem is the Islanders are very high on him, and even though he's you know he's the free agent at the end of the year, um, they're going to want something pretty darn good for him. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders uh, resigned him, uh, uh, look to resign him sometime this year. 
Uh, Halak is only signed for one more year. They have a kid in the pipeline that's playing in the KHL who's putting up ridiculous numbers. Right, you uh, talked about him. Ilya, Ilya Sorkin, yeah. I believe. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah he, the guy's a video I, yeah, game. He's a video game. Yeah, it's, and he's, he's basically doing what he did last year. He has something obscene again this year uh, from the last I saw his stats of you know, under 1.50 goals against, almost a 9.50 save percentage. So I could see Bryce being a great fit uh, when that kid comes over to kind of, you know, hold his hand a bit and the team just doesn't give it to such a young goalie. But if, if off the top of my head, he said, give me a guy where they, that could fit for the Kings, that would be it. Now the question is, the Islanders give him up, and Halak's been a guy known to get hurt here and there, too. Uh, you know, but if they gave him the right offer, now what that would be, I would have no idea, to be quite honest with you. So, um, but that would be the fit from the Kings standpoint. Well, with Murray's contract extension, um, they obviously believe that he's the, the heir apparent there. What, uh, does what, I mean, obviously he played great last year. Does that, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent sold that the 21-year-old kid is going to carry the franchise. Maybe basically what you're saying is through the end of Sidney Crosby's career, right? Is uh, Obviously, the Penguins believe that, but I'm not sure if I do. He's, I mean, he had the demeanor. He had, the obviously, the skill. Um, he had that, that calmness about him, even in the eye of the storm, going through the playoffs last year. But over the long haul of, of a full season... There's, I mean, there was doubts about Martin Jones uh, coming out of L.A. whether he was really going to be a number one goalie or not. So, and obviously he he went to the Stanley Cup final as well. But I don't know, tricky situation in goal even in Pittsburgh. Yeah, sometimes with these these uh, young players, um, and honestly, you've seen Murray in a much bigger microscope, if you will. Yeah, and and and, and exceed at the highest level. So you have to feel a lot better than that. Um, you mentioned Martin Jones, so and mentioned a couple of ex-King backup goalies, Martin Jones hey, and Jonathan Bernier. How about that? Martin Jones was was a home run, and at this point in time, Jonathan Bernier has not been, to say the least. Um, so, yeah, I, but I, I think for the cap number and for the amount of years they saw, and given his age, I think it's a, I think it's a wise investment, if you will, or yeah. wise risk. You know, there's always risk with, with, with long-term deals, but uh, I think, and, and again, I think it does set up that, um, which we already knew, that Marc-Andre Fleury will be exposed for expansion and will be by far the best goalie on the expansion list uh, come June. Yeah, that's you can make that argument. They're going to lose either Howard or Maratic in Detroit. Um, yeah, I'm not the biggest. I know he's off to he got a nice game, uh, but I'm not the biggest Howard fan uh, uh, at, at this point. They both have two years left on their deal. You know, again, both Stanley be, you know, Cups. Yeah, the, both have Stanley Cups. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but I think Jimmy Howard's best days are behind him. Uh, I think he's more of a one A backup goalie. Uh, but we'll see. You know, who knows? Maybe Jimmy Howard goes on to have a great year, and Flurry's up and down and injured. Uh, you know, obviously he's had a couple of nasty concussions, which uh, affected him last year as well. So that's always a concern. Um, but um, right, yeah, I, I, I would, I would. You know, those are going to be two of the more prominent names, if you will. 
Well, speaking of Pittsburgh, uh, you, you just sent me a quick email earlier today. Crosby was scheduled to maybe play tonight. Have they uh, have they dropped the puck, and is he on the ice? I haven't seen that. Um, uh, I, I, he, the word was he was playing against the Panthers tonight. Um, I haven't seen the box score, so uh, but that's just good news. Originally, yeah, I yeah. heard he was on Thursday against the Islanders of all teams. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's that's just good news for him. You know, I'm sure they're being extra, extra careful that he had to pass all the tests 200%. You know, and it's a bit of a hold-your-breath situation, let's face it. I mean, it's a physical game. It's a fast game. Uh, you can't predict everything. I mean, you can get hit with the puck uh, near your head, and it can cause a concussion. I mean, you, you know, you, you can... Say all you want, you got to play the game. You know, play the game safe, or certainly, you know, it's very hard. Uh, so, you know, for his sake, let's, you know, he, let's hope he's going to be okay moving forward. But it's a dicey situation, to be to be quite frank. I mean, concussions are scary. He's had a number of them that we know of, and they've been really difficult, scary concussions. So. Look you know, at, keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, look, situation. looking at the box score, Florida's up one nothing, and Crosby is listed. So ho- hopefully, he's on the ice and he's okay. er- everything's going to be okay. So it's good for the yeah. league. Good for the league. I, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. too bad. Too bad the way he finished last year and the way he started out, even through the World Cup early, you know, this year that uh, he was playing, you know, back back to his former self, if you will. So anything else? Absolutely. We 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 got a. Uh, about two minutes left, and we got to wrap this one up and get Dana on the horn. So uh, I know you wanted a couple teams you may not expect fast out of the gate, right? Yeah, Oilers five and one. Uh, Vancouver, though, I think is the biggest surprise at four one and one. Uh, the Sedins are doing their thing, uh, as well as Brandon Sutter. Uh, Vancouver is good to have him back. Uh, it was a big piece that he only played a uh, set a uh, few games last year, and then he got hurt for the year. And Mark, Jacob Markstrom, uh, who they signed to an extension before the year started, which was kind of um, an eyebrow move, and so far that's looking like genius. And uh, Cam Talbot's off to a great start, and, of course, Kyle McGee was one of the best players in the league at the age of 19. So, um, yeah, it'll have to be, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I, going into tonight, I believe the Oilers had more points in the league than anybody else. Wow. Well, it's all about... Maybe Montreal. Maybe Montreal's ahead of them. Yeah. Montreal's off to another good start too. Now that Carey Price is back in the pipes for them, that's got to be a comfort. He, they got to, uh, and we did have our wild card Radulov on there who had uh, had a goal and two assists last night too. I think so. Yeah, he's off to a good start. Yeah, early returns are that that seems to be working out so far. I guess it's all about sustainability, especially with I, I expect Montreal as long as Carey Price is healthy to to be there in the East for sure. Vancouver and Edmonton get off to a fast start and then I guess we'll take it with a grain of salt and see if it's just sustainable out there um, let's wrap this one up and move on and we'll bring Dana Lane in here in just a minute all right now we'll bring in Dana Lane we'll head down the weekly Vegas lane here and let's fire off right away with another fantastic weekend for the UNLV skating rebels uh, coming up against Boston University's club hockey team, and they go two and zero over the weekend—a five-two win on Friday, and a three-two thriller. Uh, following that up, Dana, what did you see this weekend from the boys? Uh, I'm telling you, it's pretty much the same thing we've seen from UNLV hockey from day one. I mean, 
uh, I was talking to uh, the Z-Con, their general manager, and I said, you know, this team just has guts, and there, and there was just a fire in their belly. And, you know, you talk about teams that could put out four lines that they're comfortable with, and sometimes that's lip service. But I think with this team, uh, there, there's four lines out there that they're extremely comfortable with. They're extremely comfortable with bringing up their defensemen in the offensive zone, and they've got three goaltenders. You know, one's hurt and Terry's hurt, but they got three goaltenders right now that can go out and steal a game any single night, and that's that's, and there's not too many teams that have three goaltenders that are top quality goaltenders. Well, Idison is the freshman that we've been talking about, I believe, and I I think I saw a picture of him. I guess the Rebels have a uh, little tradition in the locker room where they hand out a fire hat, yeah. fireman's hat, at the end of the game. So that was a that was a cool little a cool little picture that you know at UNLV Hockey uh, put out on Twitter with him uh, with the the Rebels fire hat there. So he 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 played in the three two game, correct? He played in both of the games. Did he? Okay. And just to just to add to that, I mean. The goaltenders right now for UNLV, you have Eric Idison, Terry Martin, and Alex Spees. They've all at least played two games, and not one of them has a goal against over two. And Alex, only because he's only played two games, but the other the other two have uh, save percentages over 93%. So, I mean, Alex is about 85, but he got a little bit more PT. He'd be up there, too. So um, that that's a lot of depth. As a matter of fact, the BU coach, I guess was talking to Coach Greener after the game, and you know he asked him about you know what the record was, and he said you know he said well we're ten and one now, and he says yeah I can I can tell because you guys are you guys are really good, and uh, it's you guys you guys are as good as I've seen, and that and I'm telling you you know you may not it may not be a big deal to some people because it's club hockey, but the message that's going to go back east about what is being done here in the desert. It is it's invaluable to the future of, of what's going on here. It is. And so we see Tina Kunzer Murphy is gonna probably be leaving or is gonna be leaving UNLV as the A D and I, I know that Z Con has done a lot of work to try to get this program to division one, but now we have to see, hey, you know, cross our fingers that whoever they hire has some sort of uh, a hockey background somewhere uh, some somewhere in his resume. I don't want to upset too many people, but I'm just going to give a big woohoo to the to the departure of of Miss Murphy there. Um, it's been time for new blood for a little while there at the AD position at UNLV, and it, I'm excited for the future of Rebel Athletics um, going into a new era. Hopefully, if the stadium gets built, the Rebels will have a first class facility to play in football wise. Uh, new coaching turnover. At the basketball program, you got the hockey program. Uh, I know women's soccer over there is is, is always good. Our golf team, uh, you don't have to say much about that. So I think it'll be probably the most consistent of all of them. Absolutely correct. Uh, and and when you look on the on the tour, everywhere you look is is uh, a Ryan Moore or an Adam Scott or someone who came out of UNLV right, right. and won national championships with him. So I'm excited for the future of of Rebel Athletics with with Miss Murphy uh, heading down the road, if you will. But I wanted to throw it over to Chris now. Um, he's been he he just had an article posted on the Last Word on Hockey. Uh, choices about for the for the expansion uh, of the Las Vegas Knights, um, Chris. Why, why don't you come and break down that for us a little bit, and and get, let's get Dana's thoughts on that. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, it's called Tough Expansion Calls for NHL teams in Las Vegas, and wanted to take attack of, instead of just doing, quote-unquote, like, here's who I would pick if I was the Vegas GM, I wanted to dissect and find the really interesting calls, be it ideally both from the, the team that had to protect their players and if there were choices for George McPhee in Las Vegas. And there was a theme that kept coming up, and uh, this was a, definitely an article of labor of love because it required a bit of research. And thank you, Cap Friendly. You were a lifesaver. If I can give them a shout-out at capfriendly.com. Sure. Um, but the theme that came out was there is going to be a lot of choices for George McPhee and the boys when it comes to defensemen. The young defensemen who are already in the league, guys in their late 20s, veterans, I mean, they're going to be really, they're going to be solid on the blue line. And they're going to have a lot of different choices. Uh, we were just talking in the first segment about the goaltending. I think they're going to be fine there. But what jumped out to me was the forwards is going to be a much thinner situation. Um, there will be some teams, uh, ironically, my Islanders being one of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, and my question, I guess, to both you and Dana is, how are they going to attack, you know, those, those who's going to be lining up on their top four lines, if you will? Because even, you know, the odds are anyone they draft won't, won't be ready. Free agency is a bit thin this this summer and has quite a bit of uh, uh, players in their 30s. So, you know, uh, like I said, uh, you know, where do you think they're going to attack? Or could they pay, take some of these players, these defensemen, if you will, and then flip them for a young player and draft picks um, kind of situation? I think you'll probably see a combination of all of that, but uh, Dana, what do you think? Well, I can tell you this, uh, you know, I mean, right from the horse's mouth, I mean, right after their first mock draft, you know, George McPhee looked at Brian and said, hey, look, um, if this is the team that we end up with, we're going to make the playoffs in the first year. That's a bold statement. You know, and so nobody knows exactly, you know, what they're going to end up with. And, of course, that's probably not going to be, the, you know, obviously it's not going to be the team that's going to be there in June. But um, it's a nice start to kind of look at that stuff. And then, you know, George said to me, you know, we kind of asked him those questions too. And, you know, he said, look, I'm not going to sit there and I'm going to uh, and wait for people to call me. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, – I'm gonna, or I'm saying, I'm sorry. He said, I'm not gonna go and go after people and say, what do you want to do? Um, he's basically going to hold all the cards, and he's going to allow all these general managers to kind of. Um, I, I said that wrong a thousand times, but basically, what he's going to do is he's going to wait for everybody to come to him because Las Vegas holds the cards in this whole expansion draft. So, you know. It, when you when you ask, well, what kind of team or what kind of players are they looking for? And I think the current the theme that always has come out of his mouth is that they're just looking for the best athletes, and so that's that's what's going to that's where it's going to be. Now, you know, for me, for these guys that you know go through and and do these expansion drafts, I mean, God bless you. I wish I had that time, but uh, let me know right after the trade deadline. Then we'll start getting really serious about where people should be because. Yeah, look, 
we look at these, uh, you know, the goaltending situation in a lot of these places now. I mean, you can kind of speculate who's going to get protected and who's not. But, you know, what our perspective is here in October doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be our perspective come the springtime. So let's go. Let me give you guys a couple just to wet your appetite a little bit. Um, Matt Bolesky of the Bruins due to will be exposed. But so will Malcolm Supan, who's making uh, a start tonight. So if they're really high on the youngster goalie and they feel like he's a future netminder, former number one pick three, four years ago, he's still only 22. Uh, Columbus, you got Alexander Winberg and William Carlson, two talented young forwards. They can only protect one of them. Uh, got to keep an eye out in Florida. I know it's early. Uh, they kind of had an under-the-radar signing this, this summer. Our buddy Matt Pryor was very high on it. Jonathan Marchesato, who is leading the team in scoring, and that could be able to protect him, as well as a, a very good defenseman, either Demers or Petrovic. The Islanders are not going to be able to protect most likely Anders Lee and Casey Sezikis. They're going to have to protect four defensemen. And Tampa is, uh, they're going to have a choice from Tampa, either JT Brown or Nemstikov. So that's, that's probably the best of the bunch of the forwards from doing this, uh, doing this research. Well, I think he, he has said a bunch of times and, and talked to us about it. Um, he's going to be a, a, a fast attacking team. And if, if you look at the, the tough choices you have to make, um, if, if you're going to weigh the ball one way or the other, he's probably like Dana said, best athlete equals speed and, and skill. Um, Look at, I mean, look at the roster he built and the way the, that he wanted the Washington Capitals to play. I think he's going to, I mean, he's not going to change his philosophy from that and the challenges that he went through with a total rebuild there in, in early 2000s um, to try and build the team in that makeup when he has the chance to do it with a, with a clean slate and a fresh chalkboard. Um, I, I think, that, um, uh, like Dana said, he, he holds all the cards and don't don't forget also you did say it was a week free agency draft but Vegas has two weeks prior to July 1st to negotiate with any of those free agents so they'll be able to see kind of what the roster looks like who the goalie is what the defense is what the chances are to to be somewhat competitive in the first year or two um and then I think Las Vegas, the facility, the training facility, and the people in the front office and the owner would sell the rest of the franchise all by itself. I don't think it's going to be a tough sell to bring anybody here as long as they also have the chance to compete. I'll give Dana the last word, and then we got to run. I shudder to think uh, <laughs> to think about uh, Subban coming to Vegas. Yeah, I, you, I, I caught wait. I caught part of you guys talking about that today. That was where I tuned into your your show on KSH, KSHP 1400 AM, the Vegas Hockey Hotline with Brian Blessing. Right. I, I caught it in just as you were getting to the whole Malcolm Subban thing, and I, I chuckled to myself when, when uh, Chris brought it up there. But uh, go ahead. No, I just – hey, look, I, I don't know what the deal is with him. It just seems like that every time Boston is looking to deal somebody, he's always kind of involved and. You know, you know, all reports say that they're real high on McIntyre. In fact, he's black backing him up tonight. And I just think that Subban, um, you know, I, I know he had 32 minutes in the NHL. I know this is, you know, his first, you know, start, start basically to play 60 minutes. But um, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you, he's got three starts down in Providence this year, and he's been yanked twice. Uh, I think they're, that's not a physical problem, or, or that's just not a physical problem. I think that that's something that's going to be mental as well, and he's down tonight 2 to nothing already as well. So, uh, Subban the Vegas, not my favorite. I can, no, tell you, the, I can tell you that for certainty. I could give you five well, or six right last, now uh, before if, him. I can uh, make one last point. Uh, if I realize that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for defense, I guarantee you people in Toronto, front office, and Edmonton, where they're dying for defense, realize that. And like you guys were saying, George McPhee's going to wait for people to come for him. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Lou Lamorello or someone in Edmonton's front office of Sorelli uh, uh, have already called and said, hey, look, let's talk as the season gets on because – a Kevin Klein from the Rangers will be will be exposed. I would love to get a guy like that. I can give you a young forward. I can give you a young forward and draft pick, or I can give you a forward. Because those teams are dying for defensemen. So teams that are dying for defensemen that have forwards to trade, that's that's going to be something for McPhee to tap into. Well, I'll tell you, nothing in the rules says he has to walk through the rosters and take 13 forwards, 7 defensemen, and 2 goalies. If he sees 10 or 12 defensemen, he, he has to take one from every team. He has to take four, at least 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goalies. He can't be under that. Is that right? I haven't so that, heard that. that adds up to 20, yeah, that, that adds up to only 26 players, though. So those last four could be anything. So he could take, theoretically, 14 forwards, 13 defensemen, and three goalies. Sure. That, but he has that. to have at least 14, 14 nine, and three. He okay. can't be under those numbers. Okay, I hadn't heard that one yet. Yeah, well, NHL.com. Yeah, no, yeah, well, there's, he could do one of two things. He could do seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender, or eight skaters and one goaltender. Well, that's what oh, uh, mean, that's what they can protect, yeah. but that's not required. No, that's not protected. That, that's correct, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. And then one so, from each. Yeah. yeah, McPhee has to have minimum 14 forwards, minimum nine defensemen, Minimum three goalies. That's per the right. Rules. Right. That's uh, right. That's posted right. on yeah. NHL.com. But that only he's only thirty players. That obviously only adds up to twenty six. So those. So he can be over one of those things. He could take five goalies if he wanted to. I mean, he could take more defensemen than nine if he wanted to. So well, the other thing too right. is they're they're not okay. looking to they're not going to fill the whole AHL team to begin with either. They're gonna they're gonna share an AHL affiliate and. Certainly, who knows what happens with the ECHL. They might end up be something until the second year. But as far as the AHL, uh, AHL players, uh, they're not even going to, you know, they won't even have a full roster. And that that was coming from McPhee. Right, right. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. I thought of that, too. All right, Dane, i got to get you out of here, buddy. i got to get Philip Iver on the line, co-host of the Winnipeg Jets podcast, super fans, cool. elite prospects writer. We're going to talk about some Winnipeg Jets hockey here in a little bit. So, sir, thank you again. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, man. Good job. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate your time, guys. You too. All right. That was Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the UNLV Skating Rebels Hockey Club, coming off a great 2-0 weekend against Boston University's club hockey. Good conversation with Dana, as always. And now joining us, Philip Iver. You can follow him on Twitter at Philip A. Iver. That's I-V-E-R. He's the managing editor of Arctic Ice Hockey. Also, he, he's co-host of a couple podcasts, uh, the AIH 
20416 and AIH Superfan Podcast. He's also a reporter editor with the Dialogue. Uh, this the George Brown College's student newspaper. So he's all over the place. If you if you give him a follow on Twitter at Philip A. Iver, he he puts links to all of his podcasts and his his re- writings for the student newspaper and everything he does for the archives hockey is he'll he'll funnel all that through his twitter account philip thank you for coming in sir absolutely listen pleasure's all mine and thank you very much for the shout out oh no problem at all that's what we do As, aside from my my co-host i told you so introduction when we were getting started off of the air going back to last year's playoffs it is it is good to talk to you and have you on are you in winnipeg sir no, I am Torontonian, born and bred. Torontonian, born and bred. Well, we got you in here to talk a little bit of Winnipeg Jets hockey tonight. Let's start with uh, let's start with the super kid, uh, Patrick Line. Aside from the hat trick overtime game winning goal the other night, that was all the rage. I want to know more about um, the physicality. He's six five, two hundred five. And 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 I don't get I haven't seen him play a full game yet full disclosure, but they're they're showing a little physicality to him that that uh, you know from the highlights package at the draft they didn't really portray him as that kind of a player is that a consistent part of his game that they're seeing now in Winnipeg? It's not. He's he's not going around there trying to hit people. The comparison in the off season was oftentimes Alex Ovechkin, and frankly that's. That's a comparable that Line A brought upon himself by mentioning the name. But he's not quite the hitter that Ovechkin is. He's definitely not shy of using his body. As you said, he's a big guy. He's got the frame for it. But his game is more skill than that. He's, he's not dependent on his shot. He's got more than that to his game. He's got that dynamic shot, possibly the best one on the Winnipeg Jets already. But don't be mistaken. Kid's got some subtle playmaking ability, and his mobility's fine. One of the question marks when we drafted him was, does he have the foot? And the answer is he does. Is he ever going to blaze down the wing? No, no. But he can get where he needs to. Now, going back to the preseason, I have to admit a lot of folks, myself included, were kind of worried. He was mostly invisible during the Winnipeg Jets preseason. Having said it, actually to the point where Kyle Connor, one of our other highly touted prospects, probably outshined him yeah, and a, came a, into the regular season with I'm, more hype. I'm a Kyle Connor fan. I was big on him when we did our uh, our draft preview show, and uh, yeah, Kyle Connor, I'm all for that. Um, coming now is is Kyle Connor, and and forgive me, he he did make the team out of camp, but is he going to go past the the nine games? Do you think? Uh, right now, that's up in the air. He's actually a healthy scratch tonight unless they made a last-minute switch. Okay. Uh, he came into the regular season with a lot of hype, but he's faded a little bit. I think he only played 10 minutes in the Heritage Classic. You know what? For him, I think he needs a little bit of time in the AHL. Right. He has the skill. He has the vision. But he needs to get he needs to get adjusted to the pace. And actually, coming back to Line A for a second, I think that's what Line A was figuring out in the preseason. He's, I mean, this is his North American debut. And just learning the North American game and learning the pace, at not only an AHL level, but the NHL. Right. That was a learning experience for him. And that'll continue for the rest of the year. But we're already seeing him start to key in on how he needs to play to be successful, which yeah. is, frankly, I, I'm incredibly impressed. 
Yeah, I was going to say that, that with not having played any juniors in North America, um, straight straight European game. Um, and I, I, I asked George McPhee this, and he had an interesting answer, and I wanted to get your take on it. With kids coming over now um, that haven't played any North American hockey, are they preparing more of an NHL-style game in the the European leagues, uh, maybe Finland and Sweden specifically, because we are seeing a lot more of those those countries' players drafted at a at a higher position and more frequently and contributing sooner. And I wonder if Patrick Line is part of that that new breed. Where I mean, George McPhee said that a lot of the a lot of the junior rinks and even in the elite leagues over there, they've brought the ice surfaces in a lot of arenas down to the NHL size. And I wonder, what would your take be on, on, on Patrick Liney specifically is if the effects of how they're changing their game in Europe is leading to a, a quicker transition into the NHL game? Well, he definitely would have played in rings, which if not NHL size would have been more of a hybrid and not the standard huge European rink. I think it's, I'm not an expert on, on the European leagues. My good friend Zach Devine would be, would be a better man to ask about that. Right, but right. I'll say that I think what we're seeing is a two-way conversation in terms of how the game is played between the European style, quote-unquote, and the North American, where we're seeing a more puck possession, a more skill and finesse start to bleed into the North American while the ideas of physicality and pace and quick decision-making are going the other way. We've seen the Swiss, the, the Swiss uh, hockey program where we adapt to Canadian mentality, and the other ones know that they need to take the best parts of our program, of the American program, of everyone, in order to succeed moving forward. So I think you're having a real conversation, especially in the European countries, of what is working in order to have success, both domestically and internationally. That's a really interesting point, and we've had Zach on the show before, and 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 I think we're going to have him on again here in in a month, and I might have to ask him that. That's that's an interesting point where you are seeing some of the 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 physicality and the grind go the other way. I I have to talk to Zach about that and and see what he has to say about that. Well, let me let me bring Chris in. I know he wanted to talk a little a little truba, so fire away, Chris. Yeah, I know this is a bit of a sore subject, but uh, and uh, I know it's a uh, it's a continuing everyday drama. But uh, Philip, um, so where is the latest with the Truba situation? Um, I've read online that Mr. Chevaldeoff. I don't know if this is accurate. In any kind of deal, he needs to get a defenseman back. Uh, I would think that he would focus on getting the right value and not kind of um, putting himself in a box like that. Um, because to me, any team trading for Truba needs defense, so it's going to be hard for them to trade a defenseman back unless that defenseman at best is mediocre. But So where do we stand with the whole Truba situation and what the Jet front office is looking for? Well, the beautiful thing about this organization is oftentimes you can hear a pin drop. So anything that's come out, I have to kind of put cock and eyebrow and wonder how exactly that did come out. Um, where are we? Shevel Dayoff is going, isn't going to pull the trigger until he gets the deal he wants. Now, the rumor is, yes, we're talking about at least the top four defensemen, preferably left-handed, or at least open to playing the left side, I presume. 
And if that's what he wants, I fear, to a degree fear, that he won't budge till he gets that. And make no mistake, he does have the backing of ownership. He's had it since the day he was hired. He continues to have it. And I'd expect he'll have it for at least the next four or five years. Is that a realistic package looking at the market now? That I don't know. I mean, what kind of names are you looking at if you're looking for a left-handed, hopefully top-four defense? Boston keeps coming up in the Jacob Trouber rumors, but if you look at Boston, who do they have? The only name of interest right now, because we're not talking about a prospect. That would be a bit of a black eye for the organization. They need someone who can step into the lineup right away. And the only name that kind of fits that bill on, on the Bruins organization would be Tory Krug. But trading away Tory Krug to me comes across as, you know, cutting your nose off to spite your face. They don't have the left side depth in order to make that deal. Other names, I mean, Detroit keeps coming up. Detroit was coming up with Myers before he ended up getting trade to us. They've been on the hunt for a defenseman for years now. But again, Danny DeKaiser? Danny DeKaiser is arguably not even a top four defenseman. That's not a player and that's not a contract that I think you want to pick up. And they don't really have anyone else. A name that would interest me of Detroit would be Brendan Smith, but he's a pending unrestricted free agent. So you need to work out a deal with him there. And Brendan Smith is not nearly enough on his own. You need to add a prospect to that. What are we talking about now? Are we talking about Anthony Mantha level? Are we talking about one of the other defensemen deeper in the system? Maybe. I'm not sure. I have no doubt that Arizona has kicked tires, but again, left-side defensemen, they don't really got much in that they would be willing to part with. Let's not kid ourselves. They're not trading Ekman Larson. They're not trading Golgoski, who they just brought in during the offseason. And they're not trading Jacob Chitrin, who's doing a pretty good job on their bottom pairing right now. Anaheim, the ideal scenario for a general Winnipeg Jets fan is that we somehow, some way, swing a deal for Hampus Lindholm. Why does Anaheim make that deal? Anaheim right now needs to make cap space so they can sign Lindholm. If you trade Lindholm for true, but you still got the exact same cap space problem, you just flip the player. So in terms of getting that tangible asset here, and now obviously things change. Injuries come up. We've seen injuries across the, the league already, although not necessarily at the defensive position. But we have the clock ticking in terms of, I, de- I believe it's what, this, this December 1st or December 4th, where if Truba isn't signed by that point, December 1st, thank you. If he's not signed by then, he can't play. So there is that time constraint operating, that time constraint kind of in the back of our mind. Is this kind personally of... Personally speaking, and I know this wasn't, I know this wasn't your question, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. Personally speaking, I think what we're going to end up with is a, it's, it's a similar situation as we saw with Kyle Turris where he'll end up being signed and then traded. Maybe not as quickly as Turris was, but within the season or in the following offseason. I think a team that would be interesting to me that, and obviously they have to add more to this deal, the only problem with it is the team in the, in the division, and that's our buddy down at, in Texas, Matt Pryor, the hockey writers. And that's the Dallas Stars, because they do have a number of talented young defensemen you know, after uh, after Klingberg. So if they could put a package together, and, and all those defensemen are on the roster now, so they could kind of put a package together uh, of, you know, maybe their best prospect kind of thing, one of their top prospects, uh, a high, you know, first-round pick, 
with one of those young de- defensemen, um, even though it would be in the division, what do you think about that possibility? It, that depends on the name coming back. And you're, especially if Trula was open to signing a one- or two-year bridge deal, whether it was before or after he was traded, I can see Dallas working. I mean, they got money coming off the books in the upcoming offseason. Patrick Sharp's a UFA. Alish Hemsky's a UFA. Yuri Hoodler, who they just brought in, is a UFA. Johnny is a UFA. So they got quite a bit of money that they could pay Jacob Trouba for. And let's not kid ourselves. Jacob Trouba's looking for a little bit of cash here. Um, I, I, were, I would, you know what? A name like Stephen Johns or, or Esther Lindell or Patrick Nemeth, yeah, those, those ones interest me. I worry they'd go for someone like a Jamie Alexiak, though. Now, it's, it's an idea. And if Mill is the type of general, he's the type of general manager where he would take that run. Is there a hesitation in terms of trading in the division? I don't think so. I mean, we saw Andrew Ladd moving to Chicago. It's a different situation, a pending UFA versus a player who could potentially haunt you for the better part, if not over a decade. But I, I think if Dallas presented that package, that we would take it. Which players would interest us is the part that worries me. Is he the... Let me get. Oh, let me jump in. Let me just okay. jump in to follow that up. Um, is he? Would he also be the type of general manager that would, if he doesn't find a deal, let him sit for the whole year, let it get to December first, and just say, "Okay, you had our best deal. Um, take the year off." Is that in the realm of possibility? I think that's absolutely within the realm of possibility. I, I like there that. I like that. Probably move. the idea. Uh, to be honest, I don't mind. I don't mind the idea of trading him. Some folks would portray that as caving into demand, and that's fair. Well, in in 2016, players make trade requests. They're moved. It it happens. We also have Mark Shifley, who dedicated a heck of a lot of his life to Winnipeg. Matthew Perot just resigned. Justin Bufflin just resigned. So we're not. It's not a conversation of. All players want out. It's a conversation of Jacob Trouba wants out. Oh, certainly. It's a very different and important distinction, especially for, I feel, Winnipeg Jets fans. With the backing of ownership, I don't think Chevy budges unless he gets the deal he wants, either from Trouba in terms of a contract or from one of the other 29 or 30 general managers, I guess they should say, depending on when this uh, settles down, uh, across the league. Interesting. And the other question I had for you, Philip, is, uh, you know, and rightfully so. Everyone's talking about, you know, Kyle Connor and Patrick Lene. But what can you tell us this, uh, about Nikolai Ellers? This is his second year, uh, and this will be the first full season for Josh Morrissey and Connor Halibut, because these are very important players to the organization in terms of going from a talented young team to, you know, uh, at least a playoff team uh, in the near future. I'm going to hold off too much on Halibut because. At this point, he's played three games. Both he and Hutch are, are struggling, uh, without a doubt. They're, they're, I mean, Hutch didn't have a great last season, but Connor Hellbuck, he was, he was absolute dynamite. They're struggling out of the gate. I kind of want to wait closer to the 10, 15 game mark to, to evaluate them. In terms of Ehlers, it's interesting because we've seen him bumped off the top line thanks to Patrick Line. And that top line is kind of the only thing firing on all cylinders right now. 
if I'm not mistaken, they have Ehlers playing beside a Perot and Stafford. Stafford's a bit of a weakness on that line, but that's neither here nor there. He looks good. I don't think we're looking at a 60-point player. I think we're looking at a 40- to 50-point player, maybe 55 once he hits the ceiling. Kids fast. Kids got hands. He's lacking a little bit of the physicality. His hockey awareness comes and goes. But, but I mean, he's in his second year. I, I, I'm excited for him to be a key part of the top six. Um, in terms of Josh Morrissey, he was already showing flashes of being NHL-ready at the AHL level last season. Uh, kid has adapted to the pro game very quickly. Frankly, without Josh Morrissey, I worry about where this decor would be in the absence of Jacob Truba. It's already not great. Uh, if I'm not mistaken tonight, we're icing a third pairing of Mark Stewart and Ben Schrott, which makes me want to swear up, down, and sideways. But Josh Morrissey, he looks NHL-ready. Is he ready to be skating on the top pair beside Dustin Bufflin? Probably not, but Dustin Bufflin can also isolate him somewhat. And Morrissey's playing a smart two-way game. He knows that when he's paired with Bufflin, he needs to mind the shop a little bit. And frankly, I think that's benefiting him on the defensive side. How about considered the future goalie, or the, is that very up for the organization, the future number one, or is that very up for a debate? There is a interesting split in the fan base, in my opinion, and from what I can see, between those who feel that Connor Hellebuck is the franchise goalie and those who think Eric Comrie actually has the higher ceiling. I, I don't see it from Comrie yet at least to the degree that we, we did from, or we have from Hellebuck, but the jury's still out. The nice thing is they're both still young, and in two, three seasons' time, we might be able to see them do get out for that starter's position at the NHL level. Because thankfully, we're not risking uh, Eric Comrie in the upcoming expansion draft. We're going to protect Hellebuck, and we're going to expose uh, Michael Hutchison for you folks. And then two, three seasons down the line, we'll get to see them actually do get out. But Personally speaking, I think Connor Halbuck plays the more boring, but ultimately safer, better, more positionally sound game. The thing that might end up putting Eric Comrie ahead is his natural athleticism. Kid is his, his movement inside the creases is sublime. Uh, but the thing is, he sometimes he, he loses it. He, he gets a little bit too out of control, as athletic goalies, as reflex goalies sometimes do. Uh, if he can hone it, if he can control himself and add a little bit more strength in terms of positioning, in terms of angles to his game, I think he's got a fighting shot. At, maybe not with Winnipeg, but at being a starter in the NHL somewhere, someday. Yeah, they might just very well develop into an asset that turns into you know, another player or another couple picks for you guys down the road. I wanted to get one last thought in, and then we were talking, we were talking during our central division preview show that we did about the, just a lot of turnover on rosters from the very top of this division with Dallas, Chicago and St. Louis, all moving some key, key pieces out. And I thought that they would have a, a, a slow start and St. Louis has obviously proven me wrong. Uh, Minnesota's jumped in there a little bit, but da- Dallas is a little slow out of the gate. Chicago, 500-ish. Um, is this Winnipeg team constructed 
to the point where they can jump in and we can see another whiteout at this season or are we are we still a couple years or a year from from maybe putting some more pieces in place to get back to the playoffs out of that central division on paper heading into this season i thought it was a tremendous year of opportunity for the Winnipeg jets to return to the playoffs because as you said the central division is it's been shaken up a little bit i believe in a lot of the kids that chicago's icing but there's an adjustment period there, and for some reason their penalty kill can't seem to stop the puck. Uh, for the record, St. Louis is surprising both of us. I did not expect the strongest start from, from them uh, to begin the year. Right. Um, Heading into okay. this season for, for Winnipeg, in my eyes, the keys were goaltending and special teams. Because Paul Maurice has always kept the team playing a pretty sound you know, at least middle of the road 5v5 game, usually a little bit better. Um, but their special teams, both power play and penalty kill, were near the bottom of the league last year, and they had a tandem of Pavlik and Hutchison. It wasn't pretty. This year, it's too early to, to make a call on the goaltending, but early returns aren't great, to be frank. And the special teams are still infuriatingly bad. I just mentioned how bad the Chicago Blackhawks penalty kill is. Guess who's 29? <laughs> the win if I'm not mistaken, the power play is currently 26. They made some assistant coaching uh, changes in the off season. We're not seeing the fruits of that labor yet. There were some promising signs in preseason. They seem to have lost their game a little bit. They're still way too Justin Bufflin focused on the power play, but let's not get started on that one. Um, if Hellebuck brings it home, if he becomes the goaltender that he showed he can be last season, and they at least make one of those special teams decent. You don't need to have a top 10 penalty kill and power play to make the playoffs, but you need at least one of them to be middle of the road. You can't have two bottom five special teams. And frankly, their 5v5 game hasn't looked great. Um, one thing I would mention, and I mentioned in today's preview for, for the game against Dallas, I, they're really starting to miss Brian Little. The kids on the roster are still learning the NHL game, and the secondary scoring isn't there. You're entering tonight's tilt with a third-line center of Adam Lowry, who's not exactly known for his offensive prowess, and a fourth-line center of Alexander Burmistrop, who I love but hasn't looked the same since he returned from the K. If they don't start getting more goal scoring from names such as Joel Armia and Sean Mathias, this team is going to sputter for at least the next third of the season, and by that point, it'll be too late. I think the top of the division is coming down, and I mean, I'm not saying they're they're coming way down, but I think I think all three teams, roster wise, anyway, like you said on paper, did leave a window of opportunity for Winnipeg to jump back in, and, and it was it was tough deciding that that wild card or th third place team um in the, the bottom of the division if you will with uh calgary and and you guys are are coming up so the what's probably this i would think the second toughest division and you can make a case that it's the toughest division in hockey um is the 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 parameters are shrinking to the point where I think that it, it, you might have to make that one move uh, 
bringing in, you guys might be buyers at the deadline and be able to make that playoff push. But it's, you know, two weeks in, we're talking about trade deadlines and <laughs> and playoff <laughs> pushes. You know, that, that's what hockey will do to us, right? Well, my worry is by that point, we'll be long out of it. Because, I mean, Dallas, they're a team of walking wounded right now. They're yes. not going to be forever. Patrick Sharp, when he comes back, when they get Cody Eakin back, when Alex Hemsky's added to that roster, now they've got some depth back at the forward core. If Kerry Lettinen can actually play half decently, or one of the goalies there can, I mean, right now Dallas is 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They're fifth in the Central. I know it's five games in, but does anyone honestly expect them to stay where they are? Minnesota might be overachieving a little bit, but you I know think. what? Bruce Brudrow has shown he can he can manage at least a decent regular season team. True, true. And the most historically, uh, most of his teams do get that that regular season bump from what they've done in the previous years when Boudreau does come in. So, but you know, I did have questions about Dallas. I didn't. Uh, you could argue that that their weakness obviously is going to be defense and goaltending and. Then you lose a Golagoski and and Demers, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yep. and basically, I mean, they brought in Dan Hamhuis, but really are trying to fill their defensive roster vacancies with kids and turnover. I don't know if that if if the ceiling is of expectations is too high for Dallas this year. It, it, you know, it very well might be. I'm a believer in Esther Lindell. I'm a believer in Stephen Jones and a lot of those kids. But it might be a little bit too much too soon for them, no doubt. Right. I mean, Jason Demers was a tremendously underrated piece on that Dallas decor. I agree. And Al Skolgoski, I don't think he was underrated, but he probably was too. I, I agree 100%. I'm a, I'm a Lindy Ruff guy too, but uh, those losing – you know, both those guys off your defense and not really filling the holes with, with experience or equal, you know, equal experience. Uh, to me, that goes a long way. But I guess I guess, uh, I guess, guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Chris, do you have anything else for Phil before we have to let him go? No, thanks, Phil. You, uh, you, you were great, uh, just like I thought you would be. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have you on in the near future if this uh, Jacob Cooper thing uh, comes to resolution. Absolutely. Hopefully, I got something I can smile about. Yeah, let's get, I definitely want to get your opinion on uh, what they get back if uh, if the deal happens between now and and December first. Well, more than happy to come back. Thank you very much for having me. I always like it when the general manager just puts his foot down. Uh, I, i.e., the Jonathan Druin situation. It's like, dude, you're an RFA. You have no leverage in this situation. Um, this is what's going to happen. I didn't get my package, so uh, off you go. And if if it did get to December first, and and he had to sit out the whole year, it wouldn't break my heart at all. <laughs> well, and, uh, it's not it's not panning out, but I wonder as the year goes on that Jacob Truba is running the risk that Winnipeg will find out they don't need him. Yeah, and that all depends on Josh Morris and his readiness. And right now, that's been a mixed bag. But we'll see come game 10, we'll see come game 20, once the team is kind of settled in, whether or not we need Jacob Trouba. And I should say, the fan base, Jacob Trouba, they, you know what? They couldn't care less about a player who, at least, it has now been portrayed as not wanting to be here. 
Yeah, whether you, or not that's true or not. You you get into <clears throat> I find this true with my friend who's uh, from Buffalo. When you get into let's say smaller market cities, um, and this you know, it, it, it's true with with the Buffalo Bills and my friend Tom as well. Uh, when you when you perceive that one of the player isn't wanting to be in your town it's an instant instant you just really just might as well pack it up um it's very hard to recover from that kind of perceptions especially in a smaller market town where the the communities are so attached to the teams and the and the teams vice versa with the fan base to be honest um especially with the sabers um they still draw great numbers and we haven't really seen good hockey out of buffalo in in quite a little bit of while um, go back to the year that, and I'm, I'm trying to think. There's a great example of this. Chris Drury, and they had another centerman leave in the same year. Um, went to the Rangers, and one of them really wanted to stay, but got better money. And one of them really wanted to leave and took less money to get out. And every time that player B for I, I it's just drawn a blank came back to buffalo booed mercifully every time he touched the puck every time player a came back <clears throat> cheered you know applauded thank you for your time you know we love you in buffalo you got a better deal we understand it but i i i you know he's such a young player i don't want to wish that on on him but uh, there might be a lesson to be learned the the more baggage you attach yourself to the harder it is going to be to move you down the line a la jonathan Druin when uh, you know, I don't know exactly what was offered for him over to Tampa Bay, but uh, it certainly wasn't anything worth moving him over. And and to his credit, I will say he has come back. He has uh, resurrected, maybe reinvented his public image and himself to a large degree and and is redeeming himself now in Tampa. But it's a long road back once you go down that road, so... No, absolutely. I, I have to admit, the Jonathan Drouin situation has stunned me. I can't believe the, the positive turnaround that went. 100%. Um, final thought for me, I'll say that PNS, True North Sports and Entertainment is in a win-win scenario. Because if they move Truba, the fan base is going to say, yay, you moved the player that didn't want to be here. And if they bring them back, that's going to be perceived as, Oh, you know what? We stuck to our guns and we didn't move him for less than a fair price. Like the organization, not only in terms of RFA rights, but in terms of perception with the fan base, holds all of the cards. All right. Well, with that, we got to let you go, Phil. Thank you again for coming in. You guys can get Phil on, on Twitter at Philip A. Iver. He, remember, he's the managing editor over at Arctic Ice Hockey. And if you are a Win- Winnipeg Jet fan and you want more, more quality Winnipeg Jet contact, content make sure you check out the aih aih 2416 that's 20416 podcast and also the aih superfan podcast where philip iver is co-host of both those shows sir thank you again for coming in we're going to let you go have a great evening thank you very much for having me uh it's our pleasure we'll talk to you soon all righty have a good night all right once again thanks to philip iver great job Talking some Winnipeg Jets hockey. Thank you again to Dana Lane, Dana Lane Sports, Dana Lane NHL on Twitter. Co-host to the Vegas Hockey Hotline on KSHP 1400 AM here in Las Vegas with Brian Blessing.
two great conversations there. Philip nailed it on the Jets. I like a lot of what he had to say. Very interesting about the the two-way conversation, so to speak, between the styles of play kind of merging closer to each other between Europe and North America. I thought that was a really cool take. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter, at Philip A. Iver. Make sure you check out all of our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, and over at the HockeyWriters.com podcast page. We're, we're there with a bunch of other real cool podcasts, so when you're looking for a little hockey talk, check us out, but check the other podcasts out there as well. They do a real good job on, on all the shows that are over at the Hockey Writers, so thanks, thanks, Dan, over there for having us on, and we appreciate it. Chris, why don't you break down what's coming next? That's a good question. Um... I know that the next two weeks we're going to have two great shows. I know one ta- one guest will be talking about the Montreal Canadiens, and one guest will be talking about the Flyers and the 2017 draft, but only from a Vegas perspective. Uh, and I, you know, it'll be mostly Flyer talk, but I want to get a little bit of the 2017 draft for our Vegas folks, and just in general of you know a couple questions that would fit them. Do not know the order yet, and uh, as they say in the business, do a little tease. One is will be a new guest, like Phil tonight, and one will be a returning guest. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what's, uh, which which order the the guest will be in. Yeah, but returning returning guests, but talking about their team this time, right? I, I think this will be three weeks in a row with the Jets, Flyers, and Canadians that we haven't actually focused on it on those three teams, right? Yeah, I think that's right. We didn't talk Jets last year. Yeah, we didn't talk. We didn't have any Flyers or Canadians last year, unfortunately. So, guess talking about those teams. So, uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, we definitely want to. There's a lot of teams we want to hit this year, and uh, so uh, kicking it off with three in a row that we haven't that we haven't covered yet. I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we'll have to get Zach Devine back on. I, I've I've reached out to Zach in the beginning. Well, the year started, and so we want you on the first couple of months, and he's like, I'm ready for you guys anytime you want me. So he's a good guy. Oh, yeah, love it, love it. Great guy. Well, don't don't forget to go over to Last Word on Hockey or check out Chris's or our Vegas at Vegas Hockey Pod Twitter handle because I, I just his, uh, his tough decisions for expansion draft. Tough, uh, tough expansion calls for NHL teams in Vegas. Yep, there you go. I just, uh, I just tweeted the link out to Chris's latest. He put a lot of work in on that, and it's. I haven't had a chance to read all the way through it yet, but I'm gonna say what we just talked about that he covered is it's it's a good read. So make sure make sure you go over there at the NL King or come to the at Vegas Hockey Pod. Uh, click over to the link and give that a read. It'll be a good it'll be a good read for sure. Um, f- so that's it for this week. We had a real good time, and we'll be looking forward to, to uh, having having everybody over to our little hockey talk again next week. For Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone. <laughs> Thank you.